Let's start with about talking about a movie um, that came out when there were three channels. So this is for a certain group of us. Um, you remember three channels and you had to get up from the couch and move the knob. But there was a day, as hard as this is to believe, I, I, this blows my mind, like a movie would come out at the theater and then like six years later, it would come on TV. <laughs> and if you weren't in front of that television at the right time, you just missed it. And your friends at school talked all about it and you were just sad because you didn't see it. Like imagine saying to someone, yeah, sorry, I wasn't there when the movie came on today when you can just like turn a movie on and stop it and pause it and come back later and watch it. You just can't say that to anybody. Yeah, I, I just missed the movie. I wasn't there when it was on my television. But that's what you used to say. So there was a movie that came out in 1966, the year before I was born. But I remember it coming on TV when I was like six or seven. So that's how long things took. Um, and I just remember being captivated by this movie. And I remember bawling my eyeballs out at the end of this movie. Does anybody remember the movie Born Free? Does anybody want me to break out in song? I'm born free, as free as... The yeah, okay. Um, that was a John Barry soundtrack. Beautiful soundtrack. The, the wind sweeping over the grasses of Africa and just... Uh, da, yeah, okay. There's a reason why I'm not on the worship team. But the whole... It was all based on a true story. And it was about these three lion cubs that had been abandoned or... I don't know if their parents died. It's been a while. So anyway, but... This couple took in one of the cubs and raised it. Um, I did look up. The cub's name was Elsa. Um, it was a little girl lion cub. And like they raised this cub there in Africa where they lived, like in their home. What kid isn't just like, oh, mom, dad, I want a lion, right? And you're just watching this and you're captivated, but kind of in the back of your mind, you know, this is too good to be true. Like this thing can't grow up and get big or it will eat them. And so at some point in the movie, um, as the story goes, they realize we're going to have to release this lion. And um, the lion doesn't take to it. Like they let else, else they take her out and they're kind of watching her from a distance and she goes out and she sees other lions, and she's, she doesn't want to be around them. And so they take her back in, and then they, like, put out, like, a dead zebra or something, and she, like, munches on that, but she won't kill her own food. Like, it takes seven or eight tries over a long period of time because she keeps wanting to come back before she realizes, oh, I'm a lion, like, those lions are lions, and she eventually joins a, um, what? Pride. I came this close to saying tribe. It's pride. I've seen Lion King. It's a pride. Um, <laughs> a pride of lions. And if I'm not mistaken, she ends up becoming like the queen or whatever they call those of the pride. And 
But it's just a fascinating thing. And like she leaves and they're watching and she goes on and they come back years and years later. I think there was like a part two and she sees them and she's like, oh, I know you. And then she comes up and you cr- I just remember at the end of the movie just crying my little six-year-old eyeballs out as I still do to this day. Um, man, I'm a sucker for stuff like that. <laughs> um, just the whole idea though that a lion... Um, falling back on not knowing what it is to be a lion. Like a lion having to be taught that it was born a lion. Like, you see that big thing over there with four legs? You're going to chase that thing down, kill it, and eat it. Like, you were born for that, right? Um, And just kind of watching the battle inside of a lion to be who it was born to be. And that is, in essence, every one of us. That is, in essence, the Galatian church. Um, And that is really what we're seeing this morning. Um, The Galatian church, like other churches in your New Testament, read the book of Hebrews if you want to go deep on this, and Romans. The temptation was always to go back to what you knew, to go back to what was comfortable, and in this case, to go back to the law, to go back to operating in the flesh, to go back to just kind of knowing what you knew before, even though you had been born or reborn to something better. And Paul is constantly, he's, this is the end of chapter 4, and, and this is kind of the last big illustration, metaphor. We even have the word allegory in our passage today. And for those of you who don't like allegory, you get to this and go, what in the world is he doing? We'll talk about that. But the last big illustration, and then next week we get to chapter 5, and we get really into kind of the meat and potatoes of what's it going to look like to live free and um, how we're going to live this out. And so this is kind of like Paul's last big Bible story. And so this is kind of like the last morning where we get like this big Bible doctrine lesson. And I just kind of feel the weight of this this morning. Like, we all feel this. We all feel the comfort of, like, it's the beginning of the year. And it's like resolution time. And we're just like, Maybe you're kind of in a place where you're like, I've been a little far from God, and I'm going to, this, this year I'm walking with Jesus. And the temptation is to what? Give yourself some laws. Give yourself your own new Ten Commandments and say, this is the, right. And then the next thing you know, you're just, you're not living by relationship and living by freedom. And that's Paul's entire warning is that if you go backwards into that, you're going to find yourself enslaved all over again. Not that Paul said, don't make New Year's resolutions. He's just saying there's a way to live that is free, and there's a way to live that is slave. And I don't, I don't know that anyone here in this room I, I know people who are, but I don't know anyone in this room who is um, 
who is tempted to go back and, and like put Leviticus into action in your homes, right? Um, right? Right, okay, thank you. Whew. Um, <laughs> yeah, we just, please. I mean, you may eat, not eat bacon for health reasons, but please don't tell me it's for religious. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, nobody really goes that far, but we all have within us this, this legalistic bent where it's just like, just give me the rules. And that will take us one of at least two directions. We will feel really good about what good rule keepers we are, and we will look at others like, well, their life isn't going as well as my life is, so they must not be keeping the rules as good as I am, because everybody knows that if you keep God's rules really well, he will pay you back by giving you a pretty good life. So obviously they stink, and I don't. Or the other end of the extreme is you just, you just never live up. You just kind of walk around feeling guilty that you just, you just don't keep up like everybody else does. Like everybody else seems to be better at keeping all the Christian rules. Like you tried to read the, the Bible and you made it a week and now you stink at it because you came to Leviticus and, 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 and it got hard. And why is everybody else good at this? Why does everybody else seem to be happy about this? And I'm not. I can't keep up. Or maybe you end up somewhere in the middle. Maybe there's a middle ground where you just kind of go, well, nobody's perfect. God understands. At least I'm not breaking the big ones. <laughs> I haven't killed anybody yet. Um, you know, I'll just live here in the middle somewhere, right? And God's saying there's so much more. You were born for more. And then he tells this story that I read at the beginning. He, he reminds of a story and he uses it in a very interesting way. But he, he does what he did before in, Roma, in excuse me, Galatians 4. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. So this is the whole point. These people have come in. These people know about Jesus. They know about the gospel. Paul has been here. He has discipled them. He has taught them the gospel. They have believed in Christ. They have started following Christ. They know about grace. They know about the promises they know what it is to be crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was back in chapter 2. And yet these other people have come in and said, yeah, but if you really, really, really want to do this right, you need to go back and you need to pick up some Moses. And you need, to, you need to add some law to your life. And the whole sticky point was circumcision. You need to go back, you Gentiles, and be circumcised. And you need to take up the law. And, and, and you need to get the whole package. And Paul's like, no, no, no. And he says, those of you who desire to be under the law, and he asks this, I don't know if he's being snarky or not. But he says, do you not listen to the law? Like, you want to be under the law. Are you really listening to the law that you want to be under? For it is written. And, and he's using the word law in a much broader way in this passage. And, and this is fascinating, as we'll see in a minute, because he uses the word he hasn't used yet. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. Now notice, he's doing what he did. Paul pulls this trick on him. He goes, pre-Moses, 
He goes back to Abraham. Like, if you want to go to the daddy of your faith, let's go back to Abraham. Let's go pre-Moses. Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh. The son of the free woman was born according to promise or born through promise. Now, let's be reminded of the story, Genesis 16, all the way up through like chapter 20. There's this whole thing going on where God promised Abraham and Sarah a son. And they were old. And they were like, uh, sure. And, and God is like, Abraham, look at those stars. It's going to be that many. And Abraham believed him. Um, but it wasn't happening. Like Sarah's like, well, Abraham, it's, it's been a month. It's been a year. Abraham. This isn't happening. So after a while, if you know the story, she says, Abraham, look, I've got, I've got this handmaid. I've got this slave. Her name's Hagar. Take her, get her pregnant, and have a kid with her, and, she, and that'll be the one. God will count that. And then Abraham did it, and God said, no, I don't count that. And what is, what is, how does Paul describe that here? Paul says, the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh. In other words, Hagar's son was Abraham and Sarah's human effort in human will, human wisdom, human strength to help God keep his promise because, frankly, God's not doing a very good job. So he obviously needs us to get this ball rolling. So God comes back and says, that's not what I said I was going to do. I said Sarah was going to have a kid. And then it says, the son of the free woman was born through promise. And and it was a long time. And guess what? They were even older. Um, in, in Hebrews, it describes Abraham as Sarah and Sarah as like, worn out and good as dead. Now I can imagine like that were your nicknames. Oh, look, it's worn out and good as dead. <laughs> She's what? She's pregnant. Yeah, how'd that happen? God just did it, right? Old out, worn out and good as dead, had a child, and it was born through promise. Not because Abraham and Sarah were just such good rule keepers, but because God just made the impossible happen. And then Paul does something that he just doesn't do that often, it doesn't seem. At the beginning of verse 24, he says, now, this may be interpreted allegorically. Really? Alleg an allegory? I thought we didn't do that. I didn't even know that was legal. You can do that with a Bible? And my answer is, well, Paul can. Um, you don't just pick up a text and go, oh, this is an allegory. 
Um, especially you don't do that with some text. Just don't. Stop it if you're thinking about it. Just don't. If Paul does it, he can get away with it. He makes an allegory out of this. Now, it's really, really important to stop right here. I was just very wrestled with this this week because to say that he's interpreting at this allegorically isn't to say that he's saying, well, it's kind of like that story Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You know, it's kind of like that time those three pigs built those houses and that wolf came along. It's, it's not that. Paul knows it's a true story. Paul knows that Hagar was a real person and Hagar was abused and Hagar got kicked out of the house and Hagar had, was like in the desert and put Ishmael under a bush and said, I'm leaving you here to die and I'm going to go die over there. And the angel showed up and said, hey, God sees you, Hagar, and that God was concerned about Hagar and that baby. These are real people um, who were really loved by God in a real place in a real time and Sarah really did laugh at God and really did have to name her son laughter. And this whole thing really happened with real people. It would be very easy to take this story and dehumanize them, which Paul is not doing. Um, but he's saying, let's take the people of this story and use them, maybe your Bible translation says, as an illustration. And then he says, these women are like the two covenants. When I said he's using the word law more broadly, he's, he's introducing the word covenant. I don't think he's used the word covenant yet. And I love this because we use the word contract, which I don't like because a contract sounds so cold. You sign contracts when you buy a car or a house. And I don't know. You don't, you don't invite the car salesman over and bring them into the family and hug them and stuff. I don't know, maybe you did. But, like, but it's, a covenant is like, this is how we have agreed to relate to each other. So in that sense, if you bought a house, you filled out a pile of papers about this tall and said, um, you're selling the house, I'm buying the house, and this is what the relationship between the buyer and the seller will be. And then that lady or whoever it was said, sign there, sign there, sign there, sign there, sign there, sign there, sign there. initial, 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 sign, sign, initial, initial. Then it was like 50 bazillion times and you didn't read it all. And, 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 and you just, this is how we're going to relate to each other and you're going to get my money or whatever. Uh, that was a covenant. But really, the best way to look at covenant is when you say, um, for better, for worse, sickness and health, for richer, for poorer, I am going to remain faithful to you till death do us part. And the other person says it back to you. And, and, and you're saying to that other person, I am entering into a binding agreement to you and these are the rules. <laughs> this is the setup for how this relationship is going to work. Richer, cool. Poorer, not so cool, but we're going to stick it out. Health, yes. Sickness, okay. <laughs> Better, woo, worse. Okay, yeah, we'll stick it out then too. And I'm going to be faithful. Sign on the dotted line. That's a covenant. And 
these two ladies in this story represent two different ways of entering into an arrangement, if you will, with God. And one of them is a slavery way, and one of them is a freedom way. One of them is, is no way to go back to, and one of them is the way to go forward. So let's read what he says. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. So you picture Mount Sinai. You remember what happened to Mount Sinai? Moses goes up, and he tells Israel, don't you touch this mountain. Just don't. Don't even go, don't even go over there. And he goes up the mountain, and it's like thunder and lightning, and the Israelites are like, God's up there killing Moses. What is going on up there, right? And he's up there getting the law, and they're having this conversation. He comes down with the law, and these are people who've been in slavery all their lives, and they're about to be a nation. They don't know anything about being a nation. And God says, well, this is how you're going to be a nation. This is going to be, this is going to be an arrangement between me and you. I'm going to make you a great nation, but this is, this is what you've got to agree to, to how you're going to live, so that when all the other nations around you see the way you'll live, they'll go, their God knows what he's doing. Their God's incredible. Not only did their God bring them out of slavery through the Red Sea, out of Egypt, by the blood of that lamb on their doorpost, he knows how to put a nation together. He knows how to teach people to live. And Paul told them, excuse me, Moses told them in Deuteronomy, if you keep it, you live. If you don't, you'll die. And Moses kind of says in Deuteronomy, you're probably not. And they didn't. Um, And he says, that's Hagar. And Hagar represents slavery. Sarah, she represents Jerusalem above, which is free. That's our mother. Then he quotes this Isaiah passage, which I read earlier. Rejoice, O barren, one who does not bear, break forth. Cry aloud, you who are not in labor. Children of the desolate will be more those who has a husband. Now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise. It's like, wait a minute, wait, Jerusalem above? Yeah. What, what is this? You read over in Hebrews. There's, there's a, a city whose builder and maker is God. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When we were in Revelation, what do you see? We saw this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Guess what? You and I did not do that. God did that without any of our help. Right? That comes from the top down. Right? We don't make that happen. God makes that happen. And that is freedom. That is a promise that that Jerusalem is there and it will be here and that's free and that's freedom. And you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. And then the one who was born into the flesh persecuted the one born according to the spirit. Just like now, Paul says, it's always going to be that way. But notice the, the word he introduces. Born according to the flesh, born according to the spirit. 
Like, you're just born the way you were born. This was the whole conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, wait a minute, born again? I got to go back in my mother's womb? That sounds complicated. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You got to be born of the Spirit. The flesh accomplishes nothing. The Spirit accomplishes everything. You've got to be born of the Spirit. You have to be born again. And you remember what Paul said back in chapter 3. Did you receive the Spirit because you were good law keepers or because you received with faith? Does the Spirit work among you because you're such good law keepers or because you trust him to do so? So that's the picture here. Jesus said in John chapter 1, verse 12, all who received him, to those who believed on his name, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Children born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. Not born out of human effort, born by God effort. And then he says, what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not inherit. There's an inheritance that we get for free by being children for free because we're children of promise. Children of the slaves do not get inheritance. And he's, he's saying, get rid of the people who are trying to get you back in slavery. Stop listening to them. So brothers, we are not children of the slave but of the free woman. Okay, Colleen's going to put something up for you. If, if Paul can make an allegory, the least I can do is make a chart. Okay. <laughs> on the left, we have Hagar, and on the right, we have Sarah. Um, you're born under Hagar. You're reborn under Sarah. Under Hagar, you go back to living according to the flesh, and you have law. Isn't it amazing that next week and in the coming weeks, when we get into the meat and potatoes of what this looks like, it's always flesh and law that go together, and it's spirit, faith, and promise that go together. Isn't it wild that law and flesh go together? Like, my own human doing my own human will, my own human wisdom says, give me law. We like to think we're just like casting off the law, and in many cases we are. But there's something about it that it says, just says, give me law. This is fascinating to me, because I, I want to bring this home to us. When we get to Galatians chapter 5, you're going to see the fruit of the Spirit. But you're also going to see the fruit of the flesh, and it's going to be ugly. <laughs> it's all the stuff you would think of when someone is just left to do their own thing, and people just get into whatever they want to get into. You can jump ahead uh, to chapter 5 and read, starting in verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. In other words, when you see them, you will know them. But there's a fascinating flip side to the flesh. 
and you caught it when maybe I read it in the other translation. Because the flesh will oftentimes say, God, um, you're not doing a very good job with your promises, so let me give you a hand here. Um, God, this stuff you said would work isn't working, so I'm taking this into my own hands. And that's exactly what, when they came to Galatians, they were telling the people to do. And that's exactly what our own hearts will tell us to do. Why? Because we were born that way the first time, and it just feels comfortable. But you were born according to the Spirit in Christ. You were born according to promise. Jesus made a promise. You believed the promise. And Jesus kept his end of the promise. It's really that simple. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not perish, but has crossed over from death to life. That's a promise from John 5, 24. Do you believe that promise? Do you receive that promise? Do you trust the person who gave that promise? When you receive trust in the place, place your faith in the person who made that promise, the person who made that promise keeps their end of the promise. He doesn't say, you get eternal life, but you better straighten up and fly right from now to the day you die. He doesn't. He just, I promise. Okay, I'll take that. And when that happens, you enter into a life of freedom because the Spirit is there. The Spirit is like the wind. You're no longer a slave to the law. The slave doesn't get an inheritance. The child gets an inheritance. The slave is Mount Sinai. The child has a Jerusalem that's on its way, but it's there. Jesus, I'm going, I've gone to prepare a place for you. There's all sorts of room. It's, and it's coming, and there's a whole new creation coming with it. It's, it's top down. I don't make it happen. You see, when you put it like this, it just seems so obvious. But we're kind of like that little lion, right? <laughs> like raised in the house, eating out of a little metal bowl, some nice little tasty cat food, and just running around the house and playing in the yard. That's what the law is for us. We've been reborn as Sarah's kids. We're lions. Right? We're free to run the plains. Kill zebras. I know, you take the picture too far, but you see what I'm saying. <laughs> it's in us to be free. We are born to be free. He says that. We're not children of the slave woman. We're children of the free woman. It just seems so clear when you put it like that. But we still have it in us to just keep going backwards. Now, next week, um, 
you're going to get a command. Stand firm in your freedom. And when we're going to start getting into things like walk in the Spirit. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. And if, if you don't believe this, and if you don't receive this, what's going to happen is you're going to try to produce fruit of the Spirit with law, and what's going to happen is you're going to be basically like... My mom had this little fake decorative fruit arrangement she kept in the middle of the kitchen table. And I drove her crazy. I drove everybody crazy when I was a kid, but I really drove my mom crazy. We were somewhere when I went to Tennessee and there were these little decorative grapes and my mom was with me and I said, hey mom, remember those decorative grapes you used to have on the kitchen table? She went, yeah. Hey mom, remember I used to drive you crazy with those things? Yeah. Because she'd come home and they'd like be missing. And I would like, I'd just like, I'd just, I'd just chew on them for some weird reason. I was such a weird kid. I'm, I'm a weird adult, but I was an even weirder kid. Like, and I would like stick them on the end of my tongue and my mom walking around, I'd be like, ah, a little grape on the end of my tongue. It's like, <laughs> if we're not living in the free and the spirit, we'll read this list, love, joy, peace, patience, and we'll go, ah! I gotta be more loving, right? And we'll just... We'll be taking fake fruit and trying to figure out a way to like connect it to our lives somehow. When it's, a, when it's, when God has said, I've put my spirit in you. I've put this freedom in you for it to come from the inside out. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to keep laws for it. You're just, you're, you're, you're putting this pressure on yourself and you're going back into slavery. When I'm calling you to freedom. So this is, this is it. This is the last real doctrinal biblical picture that Paul gives. He didn't divide his letter into chapters. We did that. He didn't put this five. But next week in chapter five, um, it's, it's the rubber's going to hit the road and we're going to start getting into commands. And um, I, I want to make sure you see this and that you believe this and you know who you are. Because... If you're in Christ, I know you're tempted to go backwards, but you're who God says you are. Um, and I love preaching this on Mother's Day because who your mama is makes all the difference. And if you're Hagar's kid, sorry, um, but Sarah makes an offer to you this morning and Sarah says, hey, listen, you can be my kid. You just, you just let go and you be reborn and you let Jesus make you a promise, and you let the Spirit make you new, and you just come into an inheritance of eternal life, and you just receive Jesus dying for you, and you receive Jesus living for you and living in you. So, there it is. Is it yours this morning? Um, so this, this pride we kind of have that we've got it together better because we're better law keepers. It's a good day to lay that aside. Or this low-grade guilt you've walked through life with where, you know, I'm just really not as good at this as others. Everybody seems to be better rule keepers than I am. You know what? It's yours for free. Pressure's off. And if you're in the middle, just kind of going, well, nobody's perfect. I'm not breaking the biggies. 
Um, <laughs> you're worse than you think. And, and, and God never laid that down as the standard. Oh, well, nobody's perfect. God understands. Christ is in you. And he's your hope of glory. And he set you free. So I just want to make sure we leave here today that we're there, that we're there. So will you join me in prayer? Lord, this is, this is a great picture. It just, it's a story. We can see it. We can feel it. Um, I just pray for my dear brothers and sisters in this room that we would know who we are. We would know what you call us and that you call us to freedom. Um, you call us to freedom. I, just all around this room right now, we know what the fruits of the Spirit look like. But yet, I don't, I don't know for every individual heart in this room what freedom might feel like like i don't i don't know what kind of shame or guilt people are toting around it gets heavy i know that much and it gets old i know that much and we don't have to carry it um you put that down at your feet, Jesus, because you carried all of that to the cross and you died with it and you took it to the tomb and you left it there in the grave and you rose again. So we leave that, we leave that with you. Jesus, we bring you whatever pride of position and pride of righteousness we think we have. And we leave that with you too. Just God, just help us not to settle for just a life of comparison. That's just a life of slavery. God, I want this for myself. I want to live this from the deepest place you will take me in my heart. The deepest place your spirit is gone the deepest place of grace and promise. I want the roots to go deep, and I, I know we want that, and I, I love that for my brothers and sisters here today. So I pray that we would know this, that we believe this, that we would cherish these truths as our own. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, y'all. Y'all have... A great week. Be safe out there. You've been listening to Sunday Morning at Creekside Church in Spring, Texas. We're glad you joined us. For more information, please check out our website at www.mycreeksidechurch.org.